I had just recently returned from the country of Russia. And for the last year, I had been serving with a mission organization, evangelizing college students, even helping to plant and start a new church in the city of Moscow. It had been a glorious, and really I, I saw it, a fruitful year. I had a girlfriend. She shared the same desire to go back to Russia long-term and serve there as a missionary. You could say it was all beautiful. It was all beautiful. It was like my dreams and my experiences, my desires were all coming together. They were coalescing. They were converging on the country of Russia. I felt like I was, you know, tracking with Jesus. You know, me and him, we were together. You know, I, I could see the future shaping up. It looked good. It looked promising. Until that summer of 1992. My girlfriend broke up with me. I was told that I would not be returning to Russia. That I was not cut out for that type of ministry there in that country. And I had been reassigned to serve at our mission's headquarters in Florida. And my body literally began to break out in boils. Suddenly, all the wind had gone out of my sails. And here I was back home in California. Literally, I remember being in my home, in the den, lying on the floor. Just lying on the floor, staring up at the ceiling. Confused. In limbo. Just lacking a passion and really purpose for whatever God was calling me to do. Have you ever been there? What I'm talking about? Lying on the floor. You can't figure it out. Perhaps aimless, lacking passion, lacking purpose, lacking a mission. Perhaps you're there right now, this morning. Looking back at your life, you're not where you thought you would be or you envisioned you would be. And perhaps furthermore, you're not where you want to be. Perhaps because of your own sinful choices. Perhaps just the hand of God's providence. Whatever the case, you find your passion for Jesus flagging. You just feel in limbo. You would say, I believe in Jesus. I do. But your purpose and mission on earth is rather unclear. It's rather uncertain at the moment. I mean, you may be even quite busy. But you wonder in your heart of hearts, am I busy doing the right thing? I think that is where the disciples are in our narrative, in our story this morning. I think it's where each one of us can find ourselves at one point or the other. If that is you this morning, church, God has a message for you. He's saying, listen to me. He's saying, follow me. Or in my experience back in the summer of 1992, he's saying, Corey, get off the floor. Corey, get back in the game. I am not done with you yet. There is a harvest awaiting. You see, church, this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. We may be finishing the gospel of John, but there's a mission that just begun, which Al spoke about last week. 
But you see, the book of John doesn't end with chapter 20. It doesn't end with, believe that Jesus is the Christ. No, it ends with chapter 21. Follow me. It's a reaffirmation of Christ's mission and his call for us as his disciples to carry out that mission until the end of the age, until his return. My theme proposition this morning is simply this in your notes. Carry out, continue on the mission to which you are called by the resurrected Christ. And for some of you this morning, this may mean a commitment to that mission for the very first time. You see, it's that mission, that commitment that we're going to talk about this morning. With that in mind, let us read our text, John chapter 21, starting with verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, And he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord... He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Let's pray. Risen Lord, Word of God, would you speak to us this morning through your Word, through this very passage we have just read? Would you embolden us? Would you console us? Would you restore us? Would you shout to us if need be? Lord, let us hear of your mission. Let us hear of your commission to us. And may we respond in faith this morning, believing that you are not done with us, that you want to use us for your kingdom purposes. Oh, we pray. Amen. Amen. With two simple points for you this morning that are on your outline. Number one, It's the mission to which you and I are called. And number two, our response to that mission. Let us take point one, the mission, the reaffirmation of the mission of Christ. Well, our narrative picks up with the disciples now back in Galilee. Christ has been resurrected. He has appeared to his fearful disciples in Jerusalem, as Al just read, behind locked doors. Now it's only a few days later the disciples are back home in Galilee. Not on the floor, but they're on the water. Uncertain of what is next. And when will they see Christ again? So they do what any self-respecting men would do. When the going gets tough, they go fishing. That's what we see here in the narrative. See, often the disciples get a bad rap here for the decision to go fishing. Does it mean the disciples had abandoned their mission and call, reverted back to their former vocation as fishermen? Were they going back to the trade which they had left to follow Jesus? I don't know. I know this. If they had gone back to Galilee, as Christ had told them, Matthew 28, 7, they certainly weren't running from Jesus. In fact, we just read in verse 7, that when Peter realized it was the Lord, what did he do? He dove in the water to meet him. So they weren't running. But I think we can surmise from this passage that they were a little uneasy, a little uncertain state. Their Messiah had been crucified. And yes, he rose again and he appeared to them 
And then he's gone. And they're wondering. They're wondering now what to do. They're wondering about their calling now that Christ has been crucified and rose again. I think D.A. Carson puts it best when he says, But if Peter and his friends have neither apostatized nor sunk into despair, this fishing expedition and the dialogue that ensues do not read like the men, lives of men, on a spirit-empowered mission. It is impossible to imagine any of this taking place in Acts. After Pentecost, there is neither the joy nor the assurance, not to mention the sense of mission and the spirit of unity that characterized the church when freshly endowed with the promised spirit. Where's the joy? Where's the assurance? Where's the sense of mission? Where's the boldness that we see only in a few chapters later in the book of Acts, chapter 4, when the disciples have been arrested and they pray this, Acts 4, 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Don't you love that? So often I ask, where is that in my life, Lord? Oh, is it in your life? You see, knowing that this was lacking, Jesus brings them back, the disciples that is, to where it all began, the Sea of Tiberias, i.e. the Sea of Galilee. This is where he had first called them to be his disciples and to follow him. Jesus reminds them of their mission, of his power, of his presence, and of his grace, which will be critical for this mission. It's the same power and presence that will soon be manifest when Christ ascends to heaven and he gives the promised Holy Spirit. It's that Holy Spirit that we possess today as believers in Christ. But Jesus does it by recreating, recreating a scene, stirring up a memory in the disciples' mind that would have been indelibly sketched there. That time when Jesus supernaturally revealed himself to them on that very same body of water, perhaps even that very same stretch of shore on which we're now fishing. That time when Jesus called the disciples to himself and when he called them to become fishers of men. Do you remember that time when Christ first revealed himself to you and called himself to you? That time when your eyes were first opened to the glory of Christ, to your sin, and to the atoning work of Christ on the cross for you. That time when God opened up his word and you experienced his grace afresh. Do you remember a time and a place? This is what Jesus is doing right now. He's taking the disciples back to that unforgettable time and place that we read about in Luke chapter 5, prior to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Let's go back there, shall we? We find the narrative in the story in Luke 5, starting with verse 4. Let me read. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Or as we read in Matthew 4.19, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Doesn't that sound familiar to what we just read in John chapter 21? Jesus is reminding them of their mission and their calling through this miraculous catch of fish. He's using their trade, their vocation as a metaphor to show them what they will be doing as disciples. They will be catching men, i.e. they will be making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is their mission, to follow Jesus and to fish with him, to follow him and to fish with him. This is their mission, to make disciples. It's what disciples do, is make followers Jesus Christ. Church, this is our mission too. This is a commission that was given to the disciples, and this I believe given to the church, to carry out until the very end of the age. What we read about in what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Oh yes, friends, we were called to worship him, right? We were called to image him. But in doing so, we are called to call others now to do the same as well. Life isn't it to be invested in fishing boats, fishing gear, fishing nets, fishing tackle, stuff. Life is to be invested in people. In people who will then call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That is their calling. And that is ours too. For their mission is now our mission as the church. Jesus is saying, get off the floor. Get back into the game. Oh, disciples, I know you have changed. And your experience of me has changed now that you see me as the crucified and risen one. But the mission hasn't changed a bit. Jesus presses home this point by revealing himself to them in a memorable way. Three times we see this word reveal. Twice in the very first verse, and then this story, this narrative concludes again in verse 14. The fact that he had revealed himself. You see, by revealing himself, he was revealing his mission, his power, his presence, and his grace. The very presence and power and grace that we now experience in the Holy Spirit. But he wants disciples to know something. And he wants us to know as well, this mission that we're to carry out to make disciples is only by his power. It's only by his presence. 
A in your notes. You see, we read in the familiar words of John 21, the latter part of verse 3. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. They were blanked all night. No fish. Not one. But in showing him, showing them, the disciples, his supernatural power, he first wants to show them their impotence for the task at hand. He wants to show them their inability to catch a single fish. Or to use another metaphor that John uses in his book, their inability to produce fruit. Remember back in John 15, verse 5, when Christ said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Not even a little teeny weeny bit of fruit. Nothing without me. And he wants disciples to know that afresh. It's going to be in his power and by his presence. We can do nothing without Jesus. Do you really believe that? I'm intrigued by the question that Christ asked his disciples in verse 5 of John 21. He said to them, children, do you have any fish? Do you think Christ is looking for an answer? Do you think Christ did not know? We could actually translate this loosely or more this question right here as, boys, have you caught anything? Not even a little bit to eat? See, it wasn't really a question. It was more of a statement with an implied answer. No. No, nothing. Well, perhaps weary and tired, still unable to recognize Jesus, they cast the net on the other side, on the right side of the boat. And we read in verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Fast forward, verse 11. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of what? Large fish, 153 of them. Like any good fisherman, he counted each one. Did you get the picture? Nothing. Now abundance. Nada. Now a harvest. You see, it wasn't a question the disciples know how. If you looked at any fishing guide or fishing handbook, there's nothing inherently wrong with fishing on the left side of the boat. That's not the point. It's when they listened, when they followed Jesus and relied on him, that the harvest was simply overwhelming. Jesus is saying this poignant picture Cast your nets again. Oh, the mission isn't over. It's just beginning. But remember, this is my calling. This is my mission. This is my doing. This is my work. And this is my way. It's Christ's way or it's no way. It's one or the other. But Corey, I always thought I'd be fishing on the left side of the boat. Well, maybe he's calling you to fish on the right. Maybe as a mom at home and not as a career woman. Or maybe vice versa. 
maybe as a deacon or a pillar in the church, but not as a pastor. Maybe vice versa. Maybe as a devoted and sacrificing single, not as a married person. Maybe he's calling you to fish, to cast your nets right here in Miami, Florida, and not Miami of Ohio, or Minnesota, or Madrid. Jesus is saying, cast your nets again. Yeah, I know you're tired. Yeah, I know you're discouraged. Just catch your nets and come have breakfast with me. I love that next part. Come have breakfast. Verse 22. Come and have breakfast. Come and have a meal with me. Come and share fellowship with me. And it goes on to verse 22. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Do you see what's happening here? In this super cat, supernatural catch and meal, Christ is calling his disciples into fellowship with him and into mission, his mission once again. But this time, as the revealed, crucified, and risen Savior who was about to ascend to heaven and give them his permanent presence to the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's his power, his presence as the crucified and resurrected Lord that guarantees the catch, that guarantees the harvest. And it's a harvest that God, that Christ calls us to partake in by his grace. Perhaps you have some serious doubts this morning about whether Jesus can use you, whether Jesus is even including you in on this mission and in this harvest. Perhaps you feel like you've been fishing your whole life on the left side of the boat. You can identify with the disciples. I have fished all night and I have caught nothing. No harvest. Fruitlessness. Perhaps you say, you know what? No, I've seen God at work. I have seen God's mighty power at work. But you know what? I've drifted from him. That time in your life in which you experience the presence and power of the living Christ seems so distant now. And frankly, if you're honest, his power seems so impotent. You've even doubted your conversion. You've even doubted that Christ's resurrection presence in your life. Maybe some of you, you've even denied Christ. You've even cursed his name. Oh, I believe that God is saying you t- to you this morning, I am not done with you yet. Get off the floor, get into the game, and grasp my grace. For what's the mission? It's to make disciples. It's done by his power and presence, and be it's done by his grace. Do you understand this narrative? Christ is not calling a bunch of super saints in this passage. He's calling a bunch of men who are powerless to catch even a fish without God's help. He's calling a bunch of sinners. Let's take a look at this. He's calling Peter. Who's Peter at this point in the narrative? You know what Peter is at this point in the narrative? He's a public failure who denied Christ 
Not once, not twice, but three times, only days earlier. He's calling doubters. Yes, serious doubters, like the doubting Thomas, who Al spoke of last week in John 20, who said, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never, never believe. He's calling the doubters. Who else is he calling? He's calling the temperamental, the feisty, the passionate sons of Zebedee. Who are they? James and John. You know their nickname in Scripture? The sons of thunder. We have a few sons of thunder here at Paul Vista, don't we? A few passionate, zealous ones. Yes, we do. He's calling you too. He's calling me. He's calling you. Doesn't that encourage you? I'm so glad chapter 21 is in our Bibles. It doesn't just end with chapter 20. I'm particularly glad that verses 15 through 19 or in there in particular. You see, three times Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are the these that Christ is referring to? Well, it could be his fishing gear, his trade. But I think most consistent with the betrayal of Peter in Scripture and the most consistent with this immediate context, Jesus means rather this. He's saying, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples do? More than these disciples do. Those around you right now. But why would Christ be saying that? Would you remember Peter's boast? He once said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Christ is saying, yet, Peter, you denied me three times. So just as Peter had publicly denied Christ three times, now Christ publicly, before the disciples, asked the same question three times. Do you love me more than these? Look at Peter's response. No more bravado. No more assertion of his own ability and power. He simply answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Peter is reinstated. He is recommissioned by the risen Lord and Savior, by his grace. When Jesus says three times to Peter, answering Peter's reply, he says, feed or tend my sheep. Feed or tend my sheep. To quote, to quote Bruce Milne on this passage, no matter how desperate our failure or how deep-seated our shame, he, that is Christ, can forgive and renew us and then use us in his service. Failure is never final with God. Failure is never final with God. So you denied him in the past. So you've doubted him. So you've even spurned his grace. Jesus is not done with you. Why? For all those who have trusted in Christ, death on a cross for you 
Your sins are forgiven, wiped away, and you are cleansed. The cross has now made you new. The cross has made you holy. That means set apart for his service to walk in the works which Christ, before the foundation of this earth, has prepared for you. That's what the cross tells us. It's by his grace. I love the quote in your notes from Rita Snowden. You ask me what forgiveness means. It is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. Isn't that good? Last week, we heard from Jeannie Jeannie Pernia, who was serving with Heartbeat of Miami. She's making a stand for life and righteousness in what can only be described here in South Florida as an abortion culture. I know from her history and from her public testimony that she can say amen to this quote, to this truth. You ask me what forgiveness means? It is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. There are those here at Palm Vista who have either served in the abortion industry or have had abortions themselves who God is now using in phenomenal ways to encourage other women to choose life rather than death, to follow Jesus. He's doing it at Heartbeat of Miami. He's doing it right here at Palm Vista Community Church. Do you understand? God wants to use you even at your very point of failure. Why? Oh, to bring him glory and to make disciples, followers of the resurrected Christ. Don't you love that? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And as Jesus said to Peter twice in verse 19 and 22, he says to us, follow me. Get off the floor and get into the game. Yeah, I know you feel ashamed. You may be grieved by your sin. I know you are not where you thought you would be in this season of life. Your marriage is not where you thought it would be. Your children are not what you thought they would be. Yeah, I never, you never thought you would be single or childless at this age. Christ says, I know. Get off the floor. Get in the game. And for those who are on the game, keep going. And point two, carry out that mission call. Carry it out. God is calling each of us to follow him in the mission of making disciples Follow me is the call of discipleship for every sinner saved by grace. We may, we may not be Peter. In fact, none of us are Peter. But I believe the truths that Jesus wants us to see from Peter's recommissioning right here and his questioning of the Savior apply to each one of us this morning. For Peter and for each one of us, our love for Christ and mission is expressed in our love for his church. You see, each time Christ follows up his own questioning of Peter regarding his love for him, what does he say? He says, Peter, feed 
or tend my sheep. In other words, Peter, if you love me, if you're to carry out this mission that I've called you to, feed my sheep. Who are the sheep that he's referring to? Well, it's clear throughout Scripture that the sheep are God's people. The sheep, it's a church. Peter grasped that well. If you read his writings in 1 Peter, he was well aware that God was the shepherd. He was being called as the under-shepherd to care for God's people, God's sheep, i.e., the church. Love the quote there in your notes from Bruce Milne once again. He says, Commitment to Christ involves commitment to the church of Christ. Jesus Christ is not a single person in the sense that he comes to us without other attachment. He is a married person. He comes to us with a bride whom he loves and for whom he sacrificed himself. You see, casting the nets, making disciples, starts with being meaningfully involved in the church for whom Christ died. Oh, how easy, isn't it, to lose this mission? Think that our lives are about, frankly, just survival. Getting a job, making money, classes, finding a spouse, losing weight, making that grade having well-behaved children, getting healthy, or keeping in shape. Church, God is calling you to so much more. He's calling you to discipleship. He's calling you to his church. That's why we have membership here at Palm Vista. We just concluded our last Our Journey New Members course. You see, church isn't something that we just go to. Church is something that we invest in, that we commit to, because the church is the people. It's the people of God that he is calling to himself. Oh, we exist to worship God. Yes, we do. And to make disciples and followers of Christ. It means evangelizing. It means teaching, starting with your own children. It means giving. It means serving. It means praying. And it means dying. Dying to self and perhaps even dying for your faith. Let's look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Christ speaking to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That phrase, stretch out your hands, is a euphemism. Speaking of crucifixion, Christ was saying to Peter, you will pay the ultimate price. Tradition has it, that Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. Friends, this may just be the part of the harvest that God has in mind. Perhaps, I don't know, in some way or fashion, for some of us. At the same time, our roles in service to God in this mission and church 
may look very different, even as different as our deaths. Some who would die young, some who would die old. That was Christ's point. When Peter asked Jesus, hey, what about the disciple whom you love? He's referring to John. What about him? What do you have for him, Lord? What about this man? Verse 21. I love Christ's response in verse 22. Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me! Exclamation point. In other words, Peter, mind your own business and follow me. Uh, to To quote Bruce Milne again, the ministries of Peter and John would be different. Peter would be the shepherd. John, the seer. Peter, the preacher. John, the penman. Peter, the foundational witness. John, the faithful writer. Peter would die in agony and passion of martyrdom. John would live on to great age and pass away in quiet serenity. In conclusion, church, I believe that God's burden for us this morning once again is this. Get off the floor. Get in the game. Some of you, get back into the game. For others, keep in the game. So you've blown it. So you're not Al or Miguel leading worship or Wally. So you're not Desi Pino or Cindy. Whoever else you may compare yourself to. Stop comparing. The resurrected Christ is saying, mind your own business. What is your business? Follow me. How? By becoming fishers of men. By helping bring in the harvest and care for that harvest right here in the church. In the summer of 1992, I did get off the floor by God's grace. I got back in the game. That meant saying goodbye to my dreams of Russia. It meant saying hello to Florida. And it meant saying hello to my wonderful bride, who would tell you was a much better choice for me. And I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) Amen. Oh, it meant saying hello to Sovereign Grace Ministries. And eventually it meant saying hello as a pastor of Palm Vista Community Church. Ah, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This may not be your story. Just the Apostle Paul's Peter's story was not the Apostle John's story. But it's a story about following Christ. It's a story about learning to cast your nets on the other side of the boat when Christ comes calling. And church, there is no greater joy in this world than learning to follow and to fish with Jesus. So here's the question. Are you fishing? Are you following? Or are you wallowing? There's a harvest awaiting, secured by Christ's 
resurrection, power, and presence. In this I know, the nets will not break, and the fish will not run out. Let us pray. Dear Lord, crucified and risen one, we respond to your call this morning, that mission call to be fishers of men, to go and make disciples, to follow you. Oh Lord, give us the faith, grant us the courage to respond to this message, to cast the nets wherever you've placed us, and to do so trusting that you know best that it's your way and not my way. So Lord, this morning we put our trust in you. As we follow, you will lead us to a place of fruitfulness and a place of harvest that is beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. Christ, we follow you now. Amen. As you prepare to sing, I'd like to read the very last portion of John 21. John said, This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We're going to sing about the person we're to follow right now. He's not simply a prophet. He did some cool things here on earth. He's God, creator of the universe. And what he's done, this book cannot even contain. Friends, this is just the tip of the iceberg that we have read this last year. So let's now sing of the person whom we're to follow, the risen Lord, the glorious and mighty one. Let us rise, let us sing.